Welcome to Midweek, a place where we dive deep into Scripture. So grab your Bible, a pen, and a notebook, and get ready to study God's Word. Okay, as I told you last week, today we're going to continue with the conquering of Jericho, and we're going to look at the archaeological evidence, and you can turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 6, keep your marker there, because we're going to, you know, we fiddle around a bit as we travel through this, and one of the things I want to do as I begin this one is, since we're looking at archaeological evidence, I want to kind of put everything together. I'll give you practical thoughts tonight, too, because I think the Bible, like I said last week, you have to be able to make sure that it makes sense to us in our life today. It's got to apply to our life today. But with the archaeological evidence, I want to go back and I want to review how I began last week. So just humor me and let me review this for the sake of piecing it all together. And uh, do you remember last week I said that there was a, um, an archaeologist as a female, good archaeologist by, by all the ar- other archaeologist uh, statements, But she made a mistake in the dating of Jericho. Remember I said that? And she put the dating of Jericho in the 1500 and somethings B.C., which if it's there, then it makes the Bible a lie because there was no city there at that time. And if that's a lie, then Joshua's a liar, then everything then you can question everything else. And her name was Kenyon. And so we want to look again at the exact biblical date, the way the Bible lays it out, and then we'll tell you where she went wrong as I said last week I'll say it again but mark it here in your notes keep your marker here and turn over to first kings chapter 6 again just so we can rehearse this and it's good to rehearse things um, <clears throat> so that um, you remember them and we learn by repetition amen it's a very important thing and so look at chapter 6 of first kings and verse 1 it says this this is give us dating of of the time of Joshua in at Jericho. Now it came about in the 480th year after the sons of Israel came out of the land of Egypt in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel in the month Ziv, which is the second month, that he began to build the house of the Lord. Now, when you start taking these numbers, he's saying that 480 years after they left uh, Egypt, when Moses leads them out, 480 years later, they begin, Solomon begins to build the temple. Now, we know that Solomon began building the temple in 967 B.C. Now, when you add 480 years to 967, you get 1447. That's when they left Egypt. Now, you subtract 40 years from that because of the wilderness wanderings from 1447 B.C., and now you come out to 1407 B.C. is when Joshua shows up there in Jericho to take the city. If you go with Kenyon, who said, no, it's in the 1500s, then you have a major problem. So, what's the resolve on that? Well, as I told you last week, Archaeologists, modern-day archaeologists, they, um, they said where she made her big mistake was one thing she made a mistake on is that she only looked for a certain type of pottery from Cyprus. She's looking for that because that would fit in the, in the uh, time frame of Joshua being there 1407 B.C. or thereabouts. She didn't find it. And because she didn't find it, she concluded that Joshua did not come there at that time 
but he must have been there a lot earlier. So modern-day archaeologists come along, and what do they do? Well, they look at the pottery in the excavations. They compare that to pottery of the same period of 1407 B.C., thereabouts, and other sites in Israel, and it's the exact same style of pottery. Now, you say, well, how do you know they don't have it for 150 years, the same style? Well, think about our lives. Don't styles of things change, and we change with it. It's the same thing in the ancient world. There's nothing new under the sun. And so when they saw that the pottery in the excavations fit with the pottery of other excavations in that time frame, that Joshua did in fact come to the city there around 1407 B.C. Everything fits. One of the other things that you will run into with somebody who might, if you may never get into one of these debates, but one of the other things is they will try to tell you, they're going to move, they're going to say, well, if you look at all the Egyptian pharaohs and the dynasties, that it doesn't fit time frame wise. The problem with that type of thinking is this, is that some of the pharaohs or some of the kingdoms existed in Egypt existed at the same time. They weren't just one after the other after the other. They weren't all like that. And so it shortens up the history of the Egyptian dynasties. And if you do that and do it right, then you come up with the right time frame. That also helps you with the pyramids. Hasn't anyone besides me ever wondered, how did the pyramids survive the flood of Noah? Anyone ever wondered that? Well, they were built after the flood of Noah. The flood of Noah was around 2300 B.C. or 4300 years ago. And when you put all the dynasties in the, in, of the pharaohs in the, in the right time frames, it fits. The Egyptian pyramids were built after the flood, the deluge, all over the planet. So everything starts fitting together when you do the proper archaeology. Does that make sense? So, so we're going we're gonna to continue now. We're going to go with practical application, and then we're going to get archaeological evidence of how, uh, how that substantiates the Bible uh, in our day and age. Joshua chapter 6, and look at verse 11, and it says, So he had the ark of the Lord taken around the city, circling it how many times? Once. Then they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. So they march around the city. They march around, and the walls fall, right? No, wrong. This first day, they march around. Nothing happens. They go home. The wife asks the soldier, hey, how'd it go today? I don't know. We march around one time. Then Joshua said, go home. And she says, well, maybe tomorrow's going to be a little different, okay? Maybe it's going to be a little better tomorrow. So then verse 12. Now Joshua rose early in the morning. And the priest took up the ark of the Lord, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew the trumpets. And the armed men went before them, and the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord while they continued to blow the trumpets. Verse 14. Thus the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp, and they did so for six days. Now, you find out they do it every day, one time. They come home. Next day, one time. Then they come home. But notice it says the armed men march around the city. And I know one of you, I don't know if you're here tonight, one of you asked me months ago, I think it was months ago, um, like, did all the soldiers march around the city? Now think about it. I want you to get scale here. 
Our church campus here is about eight acres. Jericho, uh, according to the latest excavations, they think it's about 17 acres. So a little over twice the size of our church land here is the size of ancient Jericho. Now when you take that right there, and if you go back into numbers and you find the amount, and you start doing the math, you find that they had six, Israel has 600,000 soldiers. So my question is, did all 600,000 march around that little 17-acre city or not? I mean, do you really, how long would that take? That'd take a long time. So I know it says in one text, all the, all the soldiers, and another text says the men. So I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, but it seems to me logically that you wouldn't need all 600,000 of these guys to march around the city because it would take a week for them all to get around the city one time. Now, let's get at some practical application for our lives first. Number one in your notes, and that's this. Sometimes we are called to obey without immediate, without, imme- without immediate physical results. Sometimes we're just called to obey without seeing immediate physical results. They march around once a day for six days, do they not? Every day they come home, are there any physical results of their marching? There is nothing there. Question or statement, you have to admire their persistence, do you not? Did you know that persistence, endurance is a maturity step in a believer and in any adult, is it not? You have to be able to endure. That's a picture of maturity. So many people cannot endure things and they bail on things. I mean, think about it at a maturity step. I can watch my grandkids when they don't get what they want, when they want, some of them will scream and run to the room and throw a tantrum. Any amens on that? Now that's okay when they're that young, but there's a problem when you're grown up now, right? Now, because now you're seeing that maybe I'm not as grown up as I thought I am because I'm getting very upset and frustrated with this thing, is I don't see any physical results, God. Didn't the brother of Jesus, James, say that endurance, persistence, it brings forth perfection? And the word perfection is the word for maturity or being of age. You're a grown-up. And so in our lives as believers, we have to take a look. If you want to see if you're growing up, see how you react to God when God doesn't do what you want when you want it. That's a good way to gauge your life. So you have to admire their persistence. Now, I want you to think about this group, uh, this generation of Israelites and the one before them. The generation before this one, they complained and they murmured. Did they not? They wanted to oust Moses as the leader and go back to Egypt. Did they not? Let me tell you, leadership's so fun at times, man. <laughs> you don't do what some people like, man. They go after you, man. And nowadays, with social media, they can go after you anytime they want to. Let me just set that record straight right now. That part is no fun whatsoever. And have I ever had to cancel people off messengers? You better believe I do. Because I'm just not going to sit there and let somebody shoot at me from a distance with zero accountability in their life. And I, I don't feel bad about that whatsoever. So they, they complained. They murmured. Were they mature? The answer is what? No, they weren't. But now you have this next generation because the first generation had to die off. Otherwise, they would have never made it to the promised land. So the next generation comes in and you find these guys, they're circling the city, going home, circling the city, going, no physical results. Do you find any complaining at all? 
Any murmuring? Any people rallying saying, it's time to oust Joshua and go back? Anybody? You find none of that right there. And so what you find is you have a people that are growing in maturity in their life. So the big question is this. How quickly do you get discouraged? When you don't see, when I don't see physical results, results, how quickly do we get discouraged? That's a big question, isn't it? In Galatians 6, 9, it's just right there, and you don't have to turn there, but it says, do not grow weary in doing good, for in due time you shall reap if you don't get tired. In due time you shall reap if you don't get tired. So people in a hurry, how, by the way, question, is God in a hurry? No, I wish he was, you know, it'd be nice, but... But people in a hurry make mistakes, don't, don't, don't we? If we're going to get hurt, we're going to make mistakes. Now, they've marched, side, side note, side question. They've marched around the city once a day for six days. How much tension do you think there is in the people inside Jericho by that sixth day? I think they're probably freaking out by now, okay? What are these psycho Israelites doing out there marching around and going back to the camp? What's going on here? Now, verse 15. It says, then it came about on the seventh day, here it comes, that they rose early at the dawning of the day and marched around the city in the same manner, how many times? Seven times. Say same manner. Okay. Seven times. Only on that day, they marched around the city seven times. So, same manner. In other words, they marched around each day once for six days. On the seventh day, we're going to do it again. But this time, guys, we're going to march around seven times. Now, if you're a soldier there and you're thinking, wait a minute, we've six days, once a day, six days. Now it's seven days. You're going to, how many times? That's kind of like, it's getting a little bit like, this is getting bizarre, Josh. Okay, now you want to march around seven times around the city. Yeah, let me tell you something about that. That's another maturity step. Can I be obedient? Can I be patient with God? Can I endure? Will I keep following God? Will I do that? Really quickly, let me just show you a quick example of that. Turn to Luke chapter 5. Go to Luke 5. When you're in Luke 5, say I'm there. And if you say I'm there right away, that means it's on your phone. Luke 5. Now, this is a great little um, uh, narrative. Uh, think, keep it in your mind, this, you know, This whole persistence, endurance, um, obedience to God, no results. This is a maturity step. Now look at Luke 5. Pick up at verse 3. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, that's Simon Peter, Luke 5, 3, and asked him to put out a little way from the land, and he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. Now first off, that is a new wild way of preaching and teaching, is it not? Because they would do it in synagogue, they'd sit there and they teach them. But this is a whole new way. So you see, Jesus is a, um, he's very, uh, I guess he, he's not stuck in old ways. He can change things up to reach the people. And you see that right there. And by the way, teaching from boat, does water conduct sound? Yes, it does. It, it, it carries sound. So it's a very smart thing. He created water. He knows, you know, so there he is. Verse 4, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, here's Jesus telling Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Here comes Simon, because this is daytime now. They, they fish all night. They have fished all night. They have caught nothing all night. Here comes Simon, because Simon's going to logically go after Jesus. Simon answers, Master, 
And by the way, the word master in the Greek is the idea of the captain of a ship. Isn't that wild? That that's the Greek word that he uses there. He says, Master, we worked hard all night, because that's when they fished. They fished all night long and caught nothing. In other words, are there physical results? Yes or no? They caught nothing. But I will do as you say and let down the nets. In other words, you want me to go back out, huh? Yeah, that's what I want you to do. You know we caught nothing, right? Yeah, I'm kind of like Jesus. I know what you didn't catch. Okay, we'll do it. We'll do it. Even though I see no physical results, I'll obey. I'll do what you say. Verse 6. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. Now, do you imagine Peter's surprise at this? They went ahead and did what Jesus said to do at a time when they don't typically fish at all. And now, because they did it, they obeyed and they endured. Boom, here comes the catch of fish. And of course, we don't have to read the rest, but Peter repents the whole thing and he realized, truly you are the Son of God, Lord forgive me, and this and that. And Jesus says, from now on you'll be catching men, not fish. And so, the whole story there. But the whole point is, and you can turn back to Joshua, is that these are maturity steps in our life. Will we obey God? Even when we're not seeing any type of um, physical evidence in our life. Tell him I said hi. Was now, look back at verse, uh, verse, um, verse uh, 15. Look at it yourself. Now, what's the reoccurring number in that verse? Seven. A lot of sevens in there, huh? A lot of sevens in there. And so this is which day? Of the How many days now have they been marching around? This is a seventh day. So for six days, they march around and do nothing. Then on the seventh day, this is going to be the day they take the city. Question, do they have to go up themselves and say, we're going to siege and take the city, or does God just do it? God pretty much just does it for them. So now you see them marching. They're laboring, laboring, marching for six days. And on the seventh day, they basically sit there and watch the whole, all the walls come tumbling down. And they don't have to do much about it. And so now you see this whole idea, maybe even correlating, maybe, to the creation record that for six days God labors, and the seventh day God what? He rested. And so you find this idea of God doing something. When you obey God, He does it, and you don't have to put all the effort into it because He gives to His beloved even in His sleep, Psalm 127. If we just do what God says, God does a lot of things in our life and sets up a lot of things where we don't have to do all the labor and all the work for that thing to happen. Now, we do have to partner in certain ways, but it's not this overwhelming task that it would normally be. Amen to that one right there? Now, verse 16. Here it comes. Here it is. It came about at the seventh time when the priests blew the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. He says, now you shout. Now, wouldn't you expect to say, now you charge. No, now you shout. Wait, wait we're going to shout? And we charge. No, no, now, now you're, now you're going to shout. And they have to shout. This is, the, this is the command. This is the order. Now, it's not the final instruction. Because the final instruction is a very important instruction. Because if everybody had heeded the final instruction, there would be no problems in chapter 7, as we're going to see next week. So let's read the final instruction in 17 through 19. The city shall be under the ban, and all that is in it belongs to the Lord. Everything. Only Rahab the harlot and all who were with her in the house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. Not only did she hide the messengers, 
She has to tie that scarlet rope around out of her window. Remember that? So they're probably seeing that. It's, it's there. So we're going to make sure she's okay. Verse, verse uh, 18. But as for you, here's, the, here's what Joshua said. But as for you guys, only keep yourselves from the things under the ban so that you do not covet them and take some of the things under the ban and make the camp of Israel accursed and bring trouble on it. Verse 19. But all the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So another, here's go. Everything is, you can, this is not yours. Everything's banned. You can't take in the other city. But the things that you do take out of it, gold, silver, bronze, iron, you take it out, but it's not yours either. You are to bring that and it's going to go into the temple treasury of the Lord. Hmm, okay. And only Rahab is the other person and her family are the other people that you can take out of the city. First thought on that. We've said this so many times. God gave these people in Canaan's land how many hundreds of years to repent of their wicked ways? 400. 400. 400 years, and when Joshua finally gets there, there's only one family in one house that repents and turns to Yahweh. 400 years! And just that one family, and that's it. Now, I think that kind of grieves God. God isn't willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Amen to that one? Now, point two, here we go. After a breakthrough, don't forget God's commands. After a breakthrough, don't forget God's commands. Joshua told him, he says, look, you're going to take the city, all the gold, the silver, the bronze, and iron, you're going to bring in temple treasury. But here's the thing, guys. We know somebody's going to take some of the stuff, right? Right? We know that, right? Yeah, we know about Achan in chapter 7. But maybe there's an application here. You ever notice how, this is all of us, how we're, we want, we're, we're just obedient to God when we want something bad? And then after we get it, and after there's breakthrough, we may be waiting six weeks, six months, two years, and after there's breakthrough, then we are susceptible to a letdown of obedience to God, right? We're susceptible to, uh, we could bend the rules a little bit. I, you know, I got what I wanted, I got what I needed, so, you know, we're okay now. And I think that's where maybe Achan, he's a little, you know, he messes up a little bit, and he takes some of the stuff. So we have to be careful of that. Now, let me get you another, another thought. Next question. Is this the first, fifth, eighth, twentieth, or thirtieth city they're taking in the promised land? Which is it? First time, tenth time, fifteenth city, twentieth city, as they might, which is it? It's the first city. It's the very first city they are taking. Now, so now you draw a biblical pattern from that, and that is first fruits. This is the first city they are taking. The first fruits we give to God, do we not? You find that everywhere in Scripture. We call that, in one way, the tithe. We give the first fruit to God. We give the tithe to God. Now, look at verse 18. It says, you don't take those things, look at the middle of verse 18, so that you do not what? Covet. Say it louder. Covet. Covet. 
Is it possible, is it just possible that as we tithe to God and give God the 10%, not at the end, but off the top at the beginning, because you and I both know if we wait till the end, we're less likely to give it. Any amens? Yeah, that's right. It's always off the top. But is it possible that as we tithe, that is a good, it's a good way to stave off coveting. That we become content with what God has given us. That we trust God and we trust his word that this first fruit stuff, that belongs to God. Now, back to, back to the issue. They, they, they forget, Achan forgets God's commands and next chapter, they're going to pay for it big time. Now, verse 20, here we go. So the people shouted. Here we go. They're shouting now. The priests blew the trumpets and it came about when the people heard the sound of the trumpet that the people shouted with a great shout and the wall fell down flat so the people went up into the city every man straight ahead and they took the city point three archaeological evidence here we go walls fall down flat okay in all the excavations of the city and it's always ongoing the, the wall it's a double high wall the, the bottom wall of the city of Jericho is, is a rock wall. And that rock wall, 15 feet high. Above the rock wall is another wall. It's a mud brick wall. That mud brick wall, they say it's probably about 15 feet. No, it is 15 because there's no other parts of the city. 15 feet high. So the wall of the city from the stone parts to the mud brick wall is 35 feet tall, the wall around that city of Jericho. So it's pretty high, pretty high, pretty, it's up there, okay? Now, in their archaeological discoveries, the wall, the mud wall, not the stone wall, the mud wall fell. It fell outwardly, and as it fell, it creates kind of a ramp for them to go straight up into the city. Is that wild? Now, here's how that substantiates what the, what, the, what the Bible says. Look at, look at verse, look at verse 5. 6, 5. It shall be that when they make, a, this is when God first tells Joshua, when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall city will fall down flat, and the people will what? Which way? Straight ahead. Straight ahead. Wherever they were, the mud wall fell down, creates a ramp for them. They can just go straight ahead, right over the rock wall. It substantiates the scriptures. That's what we read also in verse 20. Look at verse 20 again. Look at the last half of it. That the people shouted with a great shout, and the wall fell down flat. So the people went up into the city, every man straight ahead, straight ahead. And so now we see the archaeological evidence is substantiating what the Bible is telling us about the city. And by the way, did you know that if this wasn't written, if Joshua never wrote about a city of Jericho and them taking it, they would never even know what that archaeological, they would never know that site was even Jericho. There's no other record of it whatsoever. The only reason we know there's a Jericho and there's that archaeological site is because the Bible names it in history and it gives us everything about it. Otherwise, they wouldn't even know what they're digging. They wouldn't even know what city it is. But the Bible teaches us what it is. Now, 
Number four, archaeological evidence. Jars full of grain. Okay, jars full of grain. Now, look back at chapter 3 and verse 15. Remember, when they cross the Jordan, when they get there, the Jordan trickle of water or overflow in the banks? Louder? It's overflowing the banks. Now look at verse 15 of chapter 3. And when those who carried the ark came into the Jordan, and the feet of the priests carrying the ark were dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks all the days of harvest. We know this is April. We know they're harvest. They've harvested. It's the days of harvest. That means there's an abundance right now, right? Are you catching the picture? There's an abundance right now. And so, when they went into the city and they looked at everything, they found the jars full of grain in the city. They're filled up. They were filled up, which proves what they're saying time of year and the harvest that happened, and their jars are full of grain in the city. Now, let me tell you why that is a wild and truthful thing. Because if you're a general leading an army back in those days, and the city is walled very high, you're going to go siege that city after the harvest when they have a bunch of food, or before the harvest? You are? You're going to wait till they fill up on all the food so they can just hold out in there and you have to wait a year for them to come. Before or after? Before. But they don't wait to before. They come after. That's illogical. It's illogical to do that. It doesn't even go with what you would do as a general. But it's okay because God's on their side. Any amens? And so they, the archaeologists say the jars are full of grain. Joshua doesn't even attack them at the right time. He waits till afterwards. Because this is, he's following God's commands. Can you see how illogical this probably sounded in Josh's mind? We're going to have to wait these guys out for a year. Nope. Uh-uh. Because we're going up a different way right here. Now, verse 21. They utterly destroyed everything in the city, both man and woman, young and old, and ox and sheep and donkey, with the edge of the sword. Okay, this is a verse we don't like, right? Nobody likes these verses. No, nobody likes this kind of stuff. And the thing that an atheist or somebody's going to say is like, see, why would God tell them to do it? They're killing everybody in this city. Well, there's answers to this. And the first one is, God waited 400 years. They were taking babies and putting them on the burning arms of Molech, remember? And sacrificing the babies live on that altar. So God has to wipe, uses them to wipe out all these groups. Otherwise, those groups will bring their belief systems into Israel, a new nation coming into the land. Are you following me so far? Yes or no? Okay. Now, here's what gets me to. When people get mad at this kind of stuff, because, you know, it's for me, it's like, oh, young and old, oh my gosh. The uh, the atheist says, why doesn't God do something about evil? And we're going to answer that on Sunday, okay? This is the message of Sunday. Honest answers. Um, But then God does something about evil, right? And then what do they say? How can a loving God do something like that? You hear what I just said? You can't win with an atheist. They're going to fight you on every front because they're spiritually blind and they're not going to see it. They're not going to see it. If somebody has, you know, 
I'm just, I, I know I'm getting a little cranky in my old age. I know it, okay. I know. I don't know if it's cranky or just, I just, just want to tell people what, what it is. <laughs> but they said, God had them kill all these people and the young kids there, I go, yeah, and you're okay with killing 60 million babies since 1973 in America. And you're, you're angry over this? You need to get angry with yourself because you give hearty approval of that. So don't tell me you're some innocent person in the whole story of history. You're not. Now, verse 22. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the harlot's house and bring the woman and all she has out of there as you have sworn to her. Verse 23. So the young men who were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brothers and all she had. And they also brought out all her relatives and they sang, we are family. No, they didn't do that. And place them outside the camp of Israel. So they go in, get, get her out of there, so she is saved. I, I like that. And here's one of the things that I wish, and, and, and they're not, and I wish an unbeliever, an atheist, would look at this and say, there's the grace and mercy of God. There's the grace and mercy. Because you're going to hear me say this on Sunday, on why doesn't God do something about evil? We're all evil. The fact that we even get to be saved is a miracle. We all believe it deserved to be wiped out. I mean, come on. It's like, this is, this is the crazy part. He actually saves people? I mean, that's the crazy part. Now, verse 24. They burned the city with fire and all that was in it, only the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron, they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. Archaeological evidence, point five. They burned the city. They burned the city. As they've excavated Jericho, what they find, and um, look, it's not like today. Um, today, if, um, what, what's that? Just pop my mind. What's that Lazy Boy restaurant in McKinley, right? Who was the Lazy Boy? Lazy Dog. Lazy Dog. Lazy Dog. I knew that. I didn't have to tell me. Okay, what was the restaurant before that that was what? Uh, Claim, Jumper. Claim Jumper. I really like the steak fries. Can we talk about that? No, I'm just... And so, but when we, when, 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 how we do it today is we will raise, we will take out the old building, right? And clean the whole pad up there and build something in its place. Not then. Not in history. In fact, if you ever go to Israel, you will go down into the base underneath the actual city main level, you'll go down underneath the city near the western wall and you will see street level of the city at the time of Jesus. That's where you get to see the massive stones like 40 feet long and 15 feet. They're huge. And you couldn't even fit a piece of paper to them. They're so, they're so chiseled correctly. It's incredible. But you get to go. But what they do in ancient times is they just build on top and build on top and build. They don't excavate anything. So in Jericho, they have found layers, layers. But within one layer from long ago, dated right, they found three feet, three feet layer of ash. That city burned. And that city burned bad. And in the ash, they find things like burned wood, burned furniture, burned pottery in that that layer of three feet of ash, that was the time 
of Joshua. They even found some of the jars filled with grain, and the grain is burned on the top. They found that too. So they find all these things in the city that proves this. Now, has anyone ever um, seen the first uh, 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 documentary, Patterns of Evidence? Has anyone ever seen that? Patterns, Patterns of Evidence? Came out of the theaters about, I don't know, eight, nine years ago. And then we took the men's ministry to see the second one uh, in 2019 or two, And then COVID hit and everything stopped. And there's a third one now, but there's a lot of it. And this one guy, in, I saw the first one and... Um, and I saw the second one. But the first one, he takes you on the timeline. And uh, one of the things that he states, and other archaeologists that I've read and listened to, they state that, um, that the walls came down, exactly what we said, but the wall, the one section of the wall did not come down. And I remember right, it's on the north side of the city. Why is that important? Where is Rahab's house? It's on the wall. If you remember, it's on the wall. And one section of the wall did not fall down. God pushed down all the mud brick wall, but not her house because she placed faith in Yahweh God and her family is saved. One section stayed standing. Stayed standing. Now, verse 25. Let me, let me write this home now. However, Rahab the harlot and her father's household and all she had, Joshua spared. And she has lived in the midst of Israel to this day for she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. And remember that Rahab, who is a prostitute and gets saved, she will become King David's great-great-grandmother. Anybody remember that one? That's how a life can change in God. Amen? Her life changes, man. Now, point six. Rahab led her family to God. Rahab leads her family to God. Her family saved. The whole family saved. It said, you know, it said, mom, dad, cousins, you know, cousins she don't like. No, I didn't say that. Um, but let me really quickly take you through something here, and that is, uh, keep your marker here. Go to Hebrews chapter 11, way to your right, way to your right, nearing the end of the New Testament, Hebrews 11. It's the hall of faith, we call it. Now, it makes a statement about Rahab and many other people of faith. Many of the people that we've read about all through Scripture. When you're there, say I'm there. Okay. Verse 31. By faith. Say by faith. faith. Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. Hmm. What is she saved by? Yeah, that's God's side. What is she saved by, though? Faith. We're saved by grace through faith. It's what Ephesians tells us. There's tremendous theological ramifications to that statement too, as we'll talk about in Ephesians when we get there in the next series on Sunday. So she's saved by faith. Now, I want to show you something just in case you ever run into it. Turn to Acts chapter 16. Acts 16. Isn't the Bible so cool? I just like it a lot. There's the Philippian jailer. Remember, uh, the guys get out of jail because the angel lets him out, and he's all freaking out because he's going to die and this and that. <laughs> they, they don't kill yourself. And, and it says in verse, uh, just back up to verse, 
Verse 20. Let's go to verse 21. No, verse 20. Let's go back to chapter 15. No, verse 20. Verse 20. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Because if they escaped, since he's the jailer, he he will have to suffer their punishment. They're condemned to death, he's not. He called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus. There's faith again, right? Remember, believe is not just like, well, I believe there's a God. I'm going to get nobody to heaven. The word believe has the idea that you jump in two feet first. You're all the way in the deep end with God. It's not just like, well, I believe. No. And you will be saved, you and your what? In your household. Okay, let me clarify something here. Let me ask a question. Does that mean that because he's saved, his family is automatically saved? You know, somebody told me that when I was first saved. A Christian told me that. When I said, I, I remember talking to him, and I was, I was like four or five months in the Lord, and I didn't know anything. And I said, yeah, I just want my family to be saved. And they go, oh, your family's already saved. I said, just believe in the Lord of God, and they'll be saved. Your family's saved already. I go, and I just nodded, but I, in my heart, I go, that doesn't seem right. I mean, if that's the case, then why did I get saved? I already had a sister who was saved. I could have kept on sinning and you know, still been saved, you know. You know, what am I doing here? No, it's not what it means. What it really just simply means is that that Philippian jailer, once he came to Christ, he went back and he evangelized his family. That's what it means. Because everyone themselves had to profess faith in Jesus Christ. The writer in um, Proverbs, I think it's Proverbs, says, no man can by any way redeem his brother. Nobody can redeem their brother. Every person has to get saved. So that's what it means. Now, turn back to Joshua chapter 6. And verse 26, we're going to finish off now. Then Joshua made them take an oath at the time saying, Cursed be before the Lord is the man who rises up and builds this city, Jericho. In other words, remember, it's burned down. It's gone, man. So anybody who rebuilds it, it's going to be cursed. And here's how. Cursed with the loss of his firstborn, he shall lay its foundation And with the loss of his youngest son, he shall set up its gates. In other words, if you try to rebuild the city, your oldest son and your youngest son will die if you try to rebuild the city. That's interesting. Point point number seven. Human Human nature is to push God's boundaries. Human nature is just to push God's boundaries. We want to always push God's boundaries. It's just part of our fallen nature. I'm going to push God's boundaries. Okay. He says you can't rebuild the city. Because if you do... Your oldest and your youngest son are going to die in the rebuilding of the city. Now, mark here. Keep your mark here. Look at 1 Kings chapter 16. A little bit to your right. You guys are going to be sore tomorrow from all the turning in the Bible. Huh? 1 Kings 16. Just a little bit to your right. When you're there, say I'm there. If the pages are sticking together, it means we've got to do some work to do right in that Bible. Okay, look at verse 34. In his days, Hiel, the Bethlehemite, built, built Jericho. Is he supposed to build Jericho? Oh, no. And he laid his foundations with the loss of Abiram, his firstborn, and set up his gates with the loss of his youngest son, Segub, according to the word of the Lord to which he spoke by Joshua, the son of Nun. Is that wild? That's pretty wild to me. 
He pulled an atom. These guys pulled an atom. Oh, I can't eat the fruit? Guess what? I'm going to eat the fruit. And that's what we do. Oh, I can't do that? Well, I'm going to do that. And that's what this guy did. And the, and the prophetic curse was already in place. If you do this, oldest and youngest are going to die. And it happened. And it happened. Now, back to Joshua. And let's finish with this last thought. So the Lord was with Joshua. And his fame was in all the land. Why? Why was God with Joshua? Why was his fame throughout the land? Why did he have all this success? What is the reason behind it all? I'll tell you why. It goes back to Joshua 1 verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night and be careful to do all that is written in it. Then and only then will I make your way prosperous and you will have success. See, it's a testimony to the fact that as crazy as all the things that God told Joshua to do, he did it. He did it. And he obeyed God. And because he did, Joshua's fame was in all the land. His fame. He was super successful because he obeyed the scriptures. The Joshua 1.8 challenge from God. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, God. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We live in a day, God, where there is so much archaeological evidence This keeps proving these people in the Bible were real. It proves different things, God, that people have doubted and questioned and lied about for decades. Thank you, God. Thank you for people out there doing that kind of work, God, to substantiate what you say, what your word says. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCCNorco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.